After a windstorm knocked out the power around the vault, the wife took the kids over her mom's house for a few days to be safe. Me, I stuck around the vault to make sure everything stayed safe. That's my job. And here I am, power back on, ready for another episode. So from the Vault 319 recording room, this is the Tweakle Podcast. What's going on, everybody? It's Jake Alexander, the voice in the void, the lone wolf, your favorite host with a lisp. Happy Friday to you. Welcome to another episode of the Tweakwell Podcast. I am so, so very happy you decided to check in today. Uh, hey, if you're a returning listener, hey, thank you very much for rocking with me like you do every Friday right here in the vault. And if you are a new listener, thank you very much for checking me out. I hope I entertain you and inform you, and I hope you find something that makes you want to stick around and uh, come back for more. And uh, hey, if this is your first time, go back and check out some of the older episodes. I'm pretty sure you will find something that you will like. Hey, uh, like I said, happy Friday. It's been a weird, weird, weird week around the vault after that rainstorm and windstorm earlier this week knocked out the power. I didn't know uh, what was going on. They didn't actually give us a timeline for the power to return. And uh, I was, I was worried. I was like, Oh, uh, if I don't have any power, I don't have any, I don't have a place to record. Uh, we don't have the backup generator installed actually just yet. Uh, I'm still waiting for the uh, guys to <laughs> get around to doing it. I am, I am on the list, but I am far down that list, especially now, uh, you know, summertime comes around, everybody gets these backup generators. And so I'm like, I said, I'm far down that list, but we shall prevail now that the power is back on. Yes, I am back in the vault. Uh, I guess at this point I am just going to have to go buy me uh, some space with a generator already installed. So I have a, always have a place to record. So I don't, I don't want to like miss an episode because of something silly as the power going out and me not having a, you know, the facilities to do it in, but it doesn't matter. Uh, it's going to be a decent, uh, it's going to be a decent weekend, at least <laughs> now that the power is back on. I got a lot of stuff I have to catch up on around the around the vault. Um, it's going to be a good weekend for us because Indiana Jones, this new movie, this Dollar Destiny comes out. Uh, and I can't wait to see it because Indiana Jones is basically immortal. And I, I didn't know that most people didn't know that. <laughs> so uh, I'll actually explain that real quick a little later on. And we're going to talk about the uh, latest episode of Secret Invasion. But first things first, let's tap into the news. Mm, I don't know about you all, but a good cup of coffee really gets you powered up and really gets you fired up, man. I'm so glad I got me a cup of coffee before this. Uh, so let's get right into the news. Uh, unfortunately, we have to start our news off in the worst way. We usually have to start our news uh, segment off by saying rest in peace to the actor Julian Sands. Now, the British actor had been missing since January when he went for a hike in the Baldy Mountains uh, in January, like I said. But it just so happens a few days ago, just a few days ago, his body was found. Uh, on one of those hiking trails after being missing for this long there had been many many attempts to go looking for them uh looking for him and um and try to find some signs of what happened to him but apparently it was a lot of snow that lasted up until 
uh, just the beginning of June and a lot of places had 10, 12, uh, 15 feet of snow and was frozen over all the way up until June. They just couldn't look for him uh, after everything. They finally found his body. Uh, most people will remember him from his breakout role in uh, A Room with a View. He was in Arachnophobia, Warlock and Oceans 13. I remember him um, uh, mostly from Oceans 13 uh, and Arachnophobia. That was a really good movie when I was younger. Uh, he was only 65. It's uh, just a sad way to go. Um, and moving on, it's, it's hard, I know it's hard to move on from when we have to talk about things like that, but let's try to carry on. Um, the WGA strike, the uh, Writers Guild of America, their strike continues uh, as of Friday when you hear this. Uh, this will be day 60, two months. We're heading into the third month with this. Uh, it's going to get very very um um let's just say interesting over the next few days because sag after the uh, all of their members actually 98 percent of their members actually have authorized a strike if they do not come up with a new contract um with uh the, the amptp by midnight of july 30th uh that's so by the time you hear this it'll be probably around uh four o'clock or somewhere between midday and four o'clock when you hear this on on july 30th so if they haven't come up with a um uh with a new contract by then uh more likely sag after will go on strike as well and then you want to talk about shutting down hollywood that'll be the writers and the actors completely on strike and that will shut down uh, uh hollywood altogether because if you don't have writers you don't have actors what you're going to do <laughs> i mean yeah the directors guild of america have come up with a new contract and have signed on to a new contract but uh yeah no actors and no writers yeah hollywood would basically be shut down uh sag after can actually also move their deadline for a new uh for a new contract if they all decide to vote that way so we don't know whatever happens we'll see uh it, it's 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 going to drag out for a while with as many shows and tv shows and movies that have been shut down and all the dates moved if you don't know those uh, just go back a few episodes i've been talking about this since the strike began and uh check out all the things uh that have been shut down it's it's getting crazy out in hollywood we may be we may be going outside a lot more often this summer <laughs> i promise you that uh james gunn uh, i'm pretty sure you know that name right uh, now he's the head of dc uh, in the new DCU where he's finally cast his new Superman and Lois going forward for the new slate of DCU films and whatnot. Uh, David Cornsweet, known for the uh, uh, film Pearl and Rachel Brosnahan from the Mav uh, the marvelous Miss Mabel. Uh, she's going to play Lois and David Cornsweet is going to play uh, Superman, Clark Kent uh, going forward. Uh, this is their first project together under James Gunn will be Superman Legacy. Um, now it's crazy because the two things, number one, this will be the first time in a quite a while we've seen Lois with black hair like the comics. We haven't seen Lois with black hair in, in, a, in quite a few projects over the last decade plus. So it'd be nice to see her with black hair again going on. That, that'll be a lot more comic accurate than red hair or blonde hair like, or brown hair like we've seen her over the past uh, few projects. And um, and they will they it is said that they will play the characters not just in film, but on TV, in animation and in video games which if i'm not mistaken is a first i don't know anybody else that has played the same character across all of those mediums that will be nuts that'll be actually really cool because having that consistency would do great would do a big thing for the brands right uh superman legacy their release date is said to be july 11th uh 2025 and along and also for a release date matt reeves's the batman part two is said to release October 3rd, 2025. So if they can actually get these done and released on those 
release dates. That will be the year of DC. I promise you that. I, I already talked enough about Matt Reeves' uh, The Batman. You know I, I said that was a 9 out of 10. Uh, but Superman Legacy needs to be a home run. If not, then I don't see the point of even trying to keep going with DC. Honestly, if if, if, a no, if another Superman can't make it by the time 2025 hits, then there is no reason to keep making uh, DC projects. That's just my opinion, but hey, you don't have to agree with me. So let's switch over and talk about some box office news where the Flash has finally passed $200 million. Um, the, but, that, but the sad part about that is, is that's only $91 million domestically. The rest of it is uh, overseas. Uh, when you add in all the U.S. territories, which for some reason they don't actually add for the domestic total. They don't add like Guam and U.S. Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico. But uh, when you add it all together, it is $213 million, which is far far below the estimates of what it uh what it was expected to bring in and that's still not enough for the movie to break even considering the budget of the film and how much they spent on uh advertising the film uh for it to, when it came out uh the question for me that i have with box office is will july change the fortunes of movies uh in box office in general so coming up you have indiana jones dial of destiny obviously that's today later on in the month you'll have mission impossible dead reckoning you'll have oppenheimer and barbie july is to me is going to be a make or break month for uh for the movies for the whole year if july just looks bad then i don't expect any movie that's coming out anytime this year to make up for it i that is my honest to god opinion uh it looked like it was going to be a good year for movies with fast x and quantum mania even though people uh kind of panned at the movie it still made a ton of money and with uh guardians of the galaxy 3 dang damn near a billion dollars at 800 million i thought that we were turning the corner and the box office was going to be a, a big again like pre-pandemic levels uh i thought we were going to get back to you know people going to the movies and people enjoying the movies but maybe just we're, maybe we're just too far gone for the moment especially with uh, everything happening with the economy right uh, if you're a fan of Tyler Perry, I'm not a huge fan of Tyler Perry, but he does things that I do like. Uh, he has a new film that I'm actually interested in. It's going to be called Divorce in the Black. I'm excited, honestly, just because of the cast. You have Megan Good, Corey Hartrick, uh, Joseph Lee Anderson, Debbie Morgan, fantastic actress, and Tyler Perry himself. Uh, it's all going to be about a woman named Ava who's going to be played by Megan Good. Uh, she's basically in a fight to keep her marriage uh, together after all these things that she, that's been uncovered about the dirty deeds of her husband and all of these things that are uh, tearing her marriage apart and causing it to implode it's it's your basic standard you know cheating man versus woman type of story but this will be with tyler perry's uh doing doing his own thing through his own studio it's all his money he's the um the major producer and he's starring in it and he's helping writing it and he's directing it so i want to see if this movie's going to be any good because if it is then hey man that says a lot for uh a, a movie production going forward because you'll have an entirely new studio now on the east coast because that's where he built it uh out now i want to say maryland i think it was maryland it was maryland or georgia is one or the other but he built it and uh it, it'd be kind of crazy to have this new studio not in hollywood and not new york somewhere in the south 
that's something to pay, something to pay attention to. I'm, I'm trying to tell you. If you're a fan of Warrior Nun, which I was totally a fan of Warrior Nun, and I hate it when they they canceled it after two seasons. Well, seems like the hit Netflix series is is now going to return for a third season, but it won't be on Netflix. <laughs> so the creative team that was leading it and uh, producing the show, they said that they have struck a deal for its resurrection, and it won't be returning to Netflix. They haven't said what streaming site or what cable channel it's going to return to, or maybe you know they'll do a series and sparse the episode episodes out on one place and then move uh, other episodes to another place you don't know we don't know yet as soon as i find out i will let you know if you are a fan of days of thunder which i don't understand if you are a tom cruise fan you should be a fan of days of thunder uh when the movie came out originally it was a commercial flop uh people were expecting it to do top gun numbers and even though it didn't make money it didn't come anywhere near the top gun but it to me, it was a fantastic film. I thought Days of Thunder was a really, really fun film. I have great memories of watching it. I watch it whenever I catch it on one of the streaming sites like Tubi or whatever. Um, but a part two is now being developed by Tom Cruise himself. And there's already a director attached to it, Joseph Kaczynski. The last time these two guys uh, uh, teamed up for a film, Top Gun Maverick. And you remember how much money Top Gun Maverick made. So the two of them together, it's gold. It's not the first time uh, Top Gun Maverick, not the first time that they've teamed up in anything, but the fact that they're going back to the well to try to, um, uh, you know, redo and redeem Days of Thunder. That's a good sign. It was a good movie, but maybe they can make it a great movie this go round. Uh, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson. That is a trio of heavyweights when it comes to making films. And they have just been named as the three-headed monster to now run uh, Turner Classic Movies, the cable channel. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery have been taking hit after hit after hit. And one of the biggest things that they've been taking a hit on is Turner Classic Movies. Most people aren't interested in it anymore. So now these three men, these three gigantic filmmakers have decided that they wanted a team together to try to save the channel because they believe in the art of film and the older films and a lot of those older films i do like a lot of them i don't honestly but a lot of them i do like i, I do like classic cinema so warner brothers discovery have come out and said that yes these three men steven spielberg martin scorsese paul thomas anderson they will be put in charge uh, of the range to uh revamp the channel revamp the cable channel and try to get more people interested in it now to me if those three can't save turner classic movies if they can't save the channel nobody's going to save the channel who knows how it's going to go but if if there are three guys movie wise that can save that channel it is them uh last thing we're going to talk about in the news today what well, a first to the last thing first thing is the John jonathan majors uh update with his case um let me tell you now I don't have an opinion on it. I don't know what happened. Nobody knows what happened. Uh, even with all the stories that have come out in the last few last few hours, last day or two about the, uh, the woman, uh, what was her name? Uh, Grace Jabari, uh, about her actually attacking him and maybe she was arrested and maybe she's not. Uh, there's an arrest warrant out for her, and, but she's fled overseas or whatever like that. Nobody knows anything. Every story that comes out ever since the beginning of this, there has been one contradiction after another. Uh, everything is conflicting. Nobody knows anything. The, all, there's an August 3rd court case. Everybody will be in court. All the evidence will be laid bare. And then we could start making a decision on uh, what happens and let the court decide it. Remember, 
innocent until proven guilty that is the way this country works or i should say that's the way this country should work and that's the way i am going to deal with it i don't know what happened but let's see what happens and the last thing that i am going to talk about is just a case out of weird science so uh i love me some steak i love me some chicken i love i love fish i love all sorts of food but this idea that now the united states has approved the sale of lab grown meat yeah that's why i said it's weird science so to me this is all sorts of bad ideas uh we're going to get this lab grown meat first from two companies upside foods and good meat and they're both going to start with basically selling lab grown chicken that's the first thing that's going to hit our shelves it won't be anytime soon uh in the grocery stores but more than likely you'll get it inside of restaurants first so when you start to go out to eat now that the u.s has approved it make sure you read the menu first and see if it's if it's this so if you don't want to eat it you don't eat it and ask questions this is a bad idea i don't i don't understand this we already know that most of the like some of the food we eat is not real meat and it's not good for us so now they're just basically telling you they're going to start giving you soil and green <laughs> right or maybe you saw the movie snowpiercer remember what the remember what the food was made out of snowpiercer if you've never seen it go watch the movie and you'll see what i'm talking about i don't want to spoil it for you that's all the news for now make sure you follow our instagram channel at the underscore at the underscore tweak underscore pod uh, you can follow me over on on twitter uh, at riddick's riddick's rule riddick underscore rule uh, and then you'll see all other all random you know stories that i go through during the week that i don't actually talk about on the show i want to take a break grab me a little bit more of this coffee and when we come back we're going to talk about indiana jones being immortal So Indiana Jones is immortal, and so is his father, Dr. Henry Jones Sr. Now, when I say that for some odd reason, I've come to learn over the past few weeks, most people don't know that. Now, I bring this up for two reasons. One, I've been talking to a bunch of people I know, and they did not know this. And number two, I bring it up because the new film, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, is coming out. And since this is going to be the last time we see Indiana Jones played by Harrison Ford, I was wondering if they were actually going to talk about this in that film or at least allude to it some some way, shape or form, because they didn't do that in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Now, if you don't believe me here, I'll exa- I will show you exactly why he's actually immortal. And honestly, again, I thought everybody knew this, but apparently not. So cast your mind back to the third film in the Indiana Jones uh, history. That was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Indiana Jones is, again, fighting Nazis to find pieces of the occult so that these pieces can actually be taken to the museum and be held. This is Indiana Jones's biggest thing. He doesn't want history pieces falling into the hands of occultists and collectors. He wants everything in a museum so everybody can enjoy looking at them and learning about them. Well, you get to the end of that film and his father has come along for the ride after escaping the Nazis. At one point, they've been captured again. And now the Nazis are saying, go into this tunnel and into this, into this place and find the cup and bring it back. When he says no, they shoot his father, who is played by Sean Connery. They shoot his father and he's laying there dying. And the only way that he can uh, save his father is to go into the tunnels, find the cup of Christ, which is part of the last crusade, bring it out. And whoever drinks from it is immortal. They are healed. They don't, they don't grow old and die. They don't grow old and die from senescence. And I remember that part because later on we get to talk about it. Anyway, he gets all the way through the tunnels and gets all the way to the end. And he meets the last of these three knights, these three brothers who were charged with guarding the Holy Grail until somebody came to take their place. 
Now, they don't actually fight, you know, which is they're supposed to, but the, the knight has grown old. He's very, very old. He's been there for a few hundred years, right? Holding on to the cup of Christ among all these other, other fancy cups. And in, when Indiana Jones gets there, he says, well, you know, you've beaten me, which you didn't actually get into a fight about it. So you get to claim the cup and leave. Well, just as Indiana Jones goes to start to look for the cup, the Nazis actually followed him through the tunnel after Indiana Jones has tripped all the traps and gotten and gotten away with it with his life. Well, the last Nazi walks in and says, you know, I don't know which cup it is. And then the woman picks the golden cup, the one that's covered in jewels, which is not the cup of Christ. It's not the cup of a carpenter. Read your Bible, people. And when he drinks from it, what happens? He grows old quickly and dies and decays right there in front of everybody. And see, that's what I was talking about before with senescence. Senescence is growing old and dying from old age. That's what being immortal is. You can be weak. You can lose all of your strength, just like the night inside of that uh, cave at the, end of the, at the end of the tunnel. But you don't die from it. You live forever. Your cells keep regenerating and you live on. We learn later on that the woman actually picked the wrong cup on purpose, right? <laughs> she didn't want to share it with the Nazis either, technically. So Indiana Jones goes and says, well, I don't know what cup to pick. So he just randomly picks one, but he looks at the cup that is just the most plain one in there, which would be the cup of a carpenter, as the Bible says, just a plain cup. And he drinks from it. And the knight looks at him and says, you have chosen wisely. Because remember when the Nazi drank from it, he died and the knight told him he chose poorly. The knight even goes on to says that the cup, whoever has the cup and drinks from it, is blessed with life eternal. He's blessed with eternal life. He becomes immortal. He even uses the word immortal. Now remember, Indiana Jones has already drank from this cup. So when he w fills it with water and walks all the way back through these traps and back to his father, who's laying on the ground from a bullet wound, what's the first thing he does? He lets his father drink from it first. And then he pours it over the bullet wound and the bullet wound immediately heals. Both men have drank from this cup. Now, remember the movie ends with uh, the other woman that, that was in the tunnel with him. She tries to take the cup out of the place after the night had warned them that you can never take the cup out or, you know, something bad will happen. And sure enough, she tries to take it out and she winds up uh, falling to her death down that hole. But they all, you know, the good guys escape, all the Nazis die. And then, you know, they ride off into the sunset, literally, <laughs> as the credits begin to roll. But the whole point is that Indiana Jones and his father both drank from that cup. They are immortal. Now, I really want to see if since they didn't elude to it in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, any none that I can remember anyway, from the few dozen times I've seen this film. Are they actually going to allude to it in Dial of Destiny since this is Harrison Ford's last go round with the film? Because if they don't, then that kind of destroys the lore of everything that Indiana Jones has gone through. His biggest thing was that he he's never aging because he's consistently fighting for all these art pieces and these occult pieces to be moved into museums so people can see them and enjoy them. Well, technically, at this point, because Harrison Ford's character is now immortal, wouldn't he also be some occult piece because he's linked to the cup of Christ? <laughs> and let's be real, the man has stared, well, not directly stared into the Ark of the Covenant, but he was around the Ark of the Covenant when everybody else opened it and he lived to tell him, tell to tell about it. But he's been touched and blessed by the divine. He's going to live forever. 
So he should be in a museum as well, or at least ever ever living to tell the stories about his adventures and everything he's gone through before they move on to somebody else to take up the mantle as, um, as Dr. Henry Jones Jr., a.k.a. Indiana Jones. So I just want to see if they're actually going to talk about it in this film at some point. Just just a touch. You know, I want somebody to allude to it because if they don't. I'm going to be a little bit angry. And I have a feeling that they're not going to. And Steven Spielberg and everybody else has forgotten about it and probably won't ever bring it up. But at least I'm bringing it up here. But you tell me what you think. Did you know that Indiana Jones was immortal? And if they don't talk about it in this last film, if you do go see it, will you be angry? So let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to break down Secret Invasion, Episode 2. So let's talk Secret Wars Episode 2, shall we? And let me just say, I am loving this show and the direction it's going. Not just because it's a good show, but I love the feel of the show. I love the fact that this show feels a lot more adult than the last few Marvel movies. And I'm and I'm not specifically talking about uh, one movie in particular, <laughs> Thor, Love and Thunder. I'm looking at you. But I mean all of them in general. I've said the last four or five movies have had more of a family feel where you could take your kids and see it. But this one is... This series is very, very adult. I mean, just, I mean, that scene with uh, Gravik uh, going to uh, 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 save one of the uh, scrolls that was locked up, that was being um, uh, interrogated by uh, Fallsworth. Um, just the fact how he dispatched all of these Russians, uh, all these, I want to say they were cops, but they might not have been cops. But um, the way he dispatched them, uh, the way he was shooting them, he even hung one on a meat hook. It was very very adult they are not holding anything back these are brutal times this is a prelude to war this is everything that leads up to war and these two men gravic and uh fury they're going at it in their own way and honestly uh, the way it the episode one ended with maria hill spoiler um with maria hill being killed and the way this one ends spoiler with us uh getting to meet uh fury's wife and learning that she is indeed a uh a um a scroll herself and i'm pretty sure and i'll go out on a limb and says absolutely fury knows that she's a scroll and he fell in love with her anyway um i'm sorry this 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 series is just so good and i i hate the fact that people are just looking at it as just a stepping stone in uh uh up, up until the next marvel movie when really even as a standalone which is what marvel needs they need more standalone even if you are going to connect them they need more standalone projects uh, with this type of uh gravity to it and this series is so good uh let's talk about the episode so the episode opens with the aftermath of the bombing in moscow uh with a uh, graphic set off all those bombs in the middle of that uh russian celebration um uh, the the man that is a squirrel that is later on uh being uh interrogated by fallsworth he's being uh held by the uh, this is this is fsb this is moscow police uh secret police technically <laughs> uh and uh he's screaming i'm i'm an american i'm an american i'm an american well, he's doing that in order to get uh, the Russians mad at the United States and to get them uh, fighting and to uh, maybe produce World War Three nuclear war so they can wipe themselves out without the uh, uh, without the scrolls being involved in it at all. Um, Nick Fury is actually grabbed by another Russian and thrown into a back of a van. This Russian is uh, we, we figure out is Talos as he transforms back into his human form and drives off with Nick Fury in the back of the van. Um, we, then we, uh, get a flashback after the credits and we see 
um, the few, the first few uh, dozen uh, refugees as they show up on Earth, and they're meeting a younger Nick Fury and uh, Talos. And Talos is telling them like, "Hey, I trust this man, and you know, I don't throw around that word trust very often." Uh, we get to meet uh, uh, Vara, who in in the comics, I'll tell you who Vara is in the comics later on when we get to talk about a couple of the Easter eggs. But she's very important in the comics. Uh, I believe Vara to actually be the one who is the uh, woman who is the scroll at the end who transforms into the black woman who is Nick Fury's wife. And I, if I'm not mistaken, that is her. You do see her face for a split second, even though she kind of looks older versus the one at the beginning, which, you know, 30 years, I guess you would age, even though uh, squirrels do age a little bit differently. But he's he's telling these refugees like, hey, look, if I trust him and if you trust him, he will find us a home if we help him protect his home. Fury uh, reiterates that exact same things and says, hey, I just need you to be spies. Help me keep my world safe while I go out and look for you. And all of these scrolls, Gravik being one of them, who is to our eyes a child, but in uh, scroll years, he is very much an adult. Um, but yeah, they all step forward and decide that they are going to help Fury. And then that's the beginning of the timeline leaning up to now with Fury supposedly going to uh, look for them a home world with Captain Marvel. And, you know, it doesn't work out. And then there's the blip and everything. I, it, it's it's such a, it's, it's actually a really good scene because it sets up the fact that Fury does indeed make this promise and he has good intentions, but things just for some odd reason, whatever just doesn't work out. Um, we've then we go when we come back into the present uh, present time where Talos has now uh, snuck uh, Fury onto a train and they're catching his train from uh, from Russia into uh, Poland, going all the all the way to uh, Warsaw, and uh, he reveals uh, Talos reveals to uh, Fury that. Hey, you know that that one million uh, scrolls that have been flying around the galaxy, those refugees that have been kind of like nomadic. Well, they're actually all here. And Fury is obviously angry because Talos is just now telling him. Um, and, you know, like Talos has to tell him, like, dude, you you were gone. You were gone for five years and we were didn't think you were coming back. I didn't think you were coming back. And even when you came back, you didn't even put your feet here on Earth. You went right up to the space station and you stayed there and you've been there. You you don't know what it was like. I couldn't just let my people wander around the stars. So, yes, I told them all to come here. And you understand that this show with it being called promises, it's being bookended by this one promise that was being broken. And this entire show is being bookended uh, by promises. So the first promise uh, that we get in this show uh, that's on one side of the bookend is that this promise that Fury made to find them a home, this one has been broken. And which is uh, which has set all of these events about the about the scrolls invading and, and fighting humans. Now, this entire thing is because Nick Fury broke his promise, whether he he meant to or not. That promise has been broken. Um, so we then we switch over to where, where we see that Gravik is now taking control of not just the council, but all scrolls uh, in a pseudo coup as he's appointed the uh, scroll uh, general. And in this same scene, we learn that the UN secretary general, the UK prime minister, a very famous US political pundit who is kind of like Sean Hannity and uh, two others uh, that we haven't figured out exactly who they are. They are scroll imposters. So just like the opening credit scenes where we see all of these high ranking people, uh, they're changing from humans to scroll. Now we get to see this right here in the show where these high, these high ranking, 
breaking people, uh, even in politics. Uh, there was an Asian guy who was actually sitting on it and he had on a, a, a rather nice, more modern suit, but he doesn't look like he was in politics. He, I want to say he's probably in some form of business, but he is also a scroll. Um, one of the scrolls actually just like, I, I don't support this, this coup and I don't support us going to war with the humans. I, I don't like this at all. Um, but Gravik says, Hey, I, you don't have to. I, I have enough votes. I'm, 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 I'm in charge now. So you just go ahead and leave. And he actually lets her leave. There's no harm to her. And as soon as she gets outside, she calls Talos and Talos says, Hey, just set up a meeting, uh, with, uh, with him and let me talk to him. And I'll, I'll, maybe I can convince him. Uh, and I want to say to me, he let her go on purpose, knowing that she would call Talos and tell, and, uh, in order to get Talos close to him. Cause if you haven't noticed by now, Gravik is really shrewd. He's a very good political operator, but he's also a very good, um, tactician. So I'm pretty sure he let her go on purpose. So she could actually call Talos and get them two together. Um, we also see that Gravik has, uh, has this, uh, secret, um, uh, secret plan for if the uh, if the Avengers return and he's alluding to the Super Scrolls now if you don't know what the Super Scrolls are when we get to talking about the uh, uh, Easter eggs later I'll tell you exactly what those are uh, then we actually get to see Rhodey we get to see James Rhodes uh, here uh, and he's a very different James Rhodes than we've uh, come to you know <laughs> come to know over the over the decade plus of seeing uh don Cheadle play uh roadie uh in and out of the mcu um Rody is sitting in front of all of these heads of states answering questions about the bombing in moscow in russia and they are like grilling him and they're asking well why are you here instead of the president roadie is like he's on a like a, a lot of anger and he's told he told them point blank like my president doesn't jump when you snap your fingers and so the best you're gonna get is me and if you don't like it well tough um one of the uh heads of state is slovakia a woman she kind of at, at roadie and he kind of leans back and tells one of his aides like yo if she disrespects me again like this and i'm gonna hop in the suit which meaning his his war machine suit and i'm just gonna start carpet bombing so this is a different james Rhodes, which leads me to believe that j this version of james Rhodes is actually a scroll and has been a scroll for quite a while maybe not going back as some theorize all the way back to when uh uh the the switch over from terrence howard to don cheeto happened but i think maybe this is a scroll and he has been a scroll for quite a minute um uh, later on in that scene uh fury calls Rhodes and tells him like hey you look good in that suit and uh you know you want to start carpet bombing let let me know let me know so i can watch so they uh they set up a meet at a tavern down the street where these two get to talking and in in short fury gets fired from his position um and fury tells him point blank like look he, you can think i'm out but even when i'm out i'm still in which is very fury-esque he's even when fury doesn't seem like he's in the fight he's in the fight he's fighting from the shadows uh yeah he can be on the front line but he has a different fight going on somewhere in the background he's always in the fight he's He's not just a spy. He's the spy, as Tony Stark once put it a few movies ago before Tony's death. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think this entire scene is what it is. And I'll get into that in a few minutes in a few minutes. Oh, next we get to see Fallsworth interrogating that squirrel, the one that has um, that has taken over the uh, the body of the um, of the American against Russia. Uh, 
sort of pseudo terrorist um and she 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 pretty much knows everything of what he's going to say she's basically looking for confirmation that she's right uh she's very much the the female british fury try saying that uh three times fast um and a gra uh, graphic shows up to rescue him um but he he doesn't get rescued technically because as they're leaving to go back to the safe house, Gaia, who's who's actually there with Gravik in order to save this save this one squirrel. This is Brogan, uh, by the way. Um, she picks up the phone and and calls the uh, Russian officials and tips off and tips them off to where this safe house is. And she does that specifically because Brogan is uh, Pagan's uh, guy. So uh, we we heard earlier in the episode that Pagan was saying that, hey, you know, sometimes Gravik isn't always right. So in order to make sure that she stays close to Gravik and not just on the outside looking in, she's basically trying to make it look like Pagan is a little, uh, you know, a little compromised, a little incompetent. So she basically calls in the FSB in order for the safe house to get uh get raided and as they're pulling up to the safe house they just drive by it and they drive out to the woods and gravic hands uh pagan the gun and he has to kill brogan who is his guy the guy he actually brought into this circle um and i know that and it that's all done by gaia in order to drive a wedge between gravic and pagan so she can remain on the inside and not on the outside looking in it's really smart because this act that this entire act that entire scene of uh pagan having to kill brogan and uh because gaia set set it up in the background if you go back to the opening credits where you're looking at the chessboard as a chessboard where a bishop transforms into a king and that but that king then transforms into a queen and the queen being the most powerful piece on the chessboard that's gravic that's pagan and that's gaia uh in this particular episode where the the bishop gets pushed out of the way so that the king can wind up transforming into the queen this is why i keep saying that gaia is going to by the time the series is over gaia is going to wind up on the good side and she's going to wind up becoming um a fury's uh right hand woman because remember fury keeps women next to him not guys he has men that he trusts as agents just the way he trusted Hawkeye, but he keeps women closest to him. And I think she's going to wind up being his, his right hand woman by the time this show is over. And she's going to transform into a different human, um, uh, form, or maybe she'll just remain into the Amelia Clark, uh, uh, human form. And she's going to take on the name Abigail brand, just like I talked about in the uh, last episode when we talked about episode one, but we'll figure that out as it goes on. Um, at the end of the show, uh, we see that uh, Fury has gotten off the train. He picks up a truck from some sort of uh, safe house and he drives out to the UK countryside and he enters his house. Uh, I love the way the house is set up. It's it's very color coordinated, uh, very much like a squirrel would do. That's that's why I know for a fact that he knows that his that his wife is a squirrel. But he walks into the kitchen. Uh, she tells him like, "Hey, haven't you forgotten something?" He walks back out. He walks back out of the kitchen to the front room. He comes back with the wedding ring, puts it on. They do the head nod thing first, and then they kiss. While you hear uh, of the song in the background, a bunch of soul music. And uh, I think that's a good nod to Samuel Jackson, who actually was in the movie Soul Man with uh, Bernie Mac uh, a bunch of years ago. And he actually does very much like soul music, Samuel Jackson and the character of Nick Fury. They are very much uh, in uh, in tune with soul music. And then you get the kiss between the two and then the show ends. Um uh, his wife is actually played by uh, Charlene Woodard, which is a good Easter egg. And I want to talk about that in a minute. Um, this is a really, really good episode. Uh, it is definitely on par with uh, episode one. Uh, my favorite scene in this one was the conversation between uh, Rhodey 
and um and Nick Fury when they were sitting in a tavern. Uh it, it, it is it is a very it is very much not just a political thriller, but it is also about uh finding your place in a world that doesn't want you there. Um the scrolls are doing that with humans, but Nick Fury and uh Rhodey, they had to do this uh for years long before the scrolls because they were black in a world that didn't want them. It definitely didn't want them uh in politics and in spy work uh, because they didn't believe that, you know, black people could do these type of things. But here we are all these years later. Nick Fury is not a spy, he's the spy. Here's Rhodey. Uh we I don't know what position Rhodey holds inside of uh, inside of the American government right now. I want to say the way he was handling uh, uh, everything with the questioning he's probably the national security advisor they don't specifically say it yet but I want to say that that's, that's uh, what Rhodey's um, <clears throat> excuse me that's what his position is especially the fact in the first episode he's walking right next to the president and telling him everything that's going on and answering questions and when the president says get me more answers he's like I'm on it I would think that that's a national security advisor role that's just me I might be wrong but maybe that's what it is um, so let's get to these easter eggs now so right at the beginning of the episode like I said we get to meet Vara in the comics Vara is actually a Kree scroll hybrid She's not just a Kree. She's not just a scroll. And I remember uh, in the comics, it's it's flip flop. The scrolls are actually the bad guys, and the Kree are actually the good guys. But in the MCU, it's flipped. The scrolls are you know the losers of the war, and the Kree are the bad guys. Um, I actually think that's actually pretty cool. The fact that they use Vara, uh, uh, who is a Kree scroll hybrid, in the comic, but used her as the woman who is uh, bringing in all of these refugees at the beginning, and then technically the one. And she's the one who uh, falls in love with um, with Nick Fury and becomes his earthly wife. And even when she's even when he's not here, she still maintains uh, her her human identity as his wife, whether or not anybody else knows that's his wife or not, because, you know, him not being married is a mask that he wears because he like every other superhero, even though. Fury is not a superhero. He has to wear a mask. He has to be the spy, the tough guy, the guy who's always out there on the front line. And he can't risk anybody knowing that he has a wife somewhere or they might try to track her down in order to hurt him the same way that they use Maria Hill to hurt him in this series thus far. So what does he do? He acts like he's not a married man. So the bachelor Nick Fury is actually a mask, just like every other superhero wears a mask in order to protect their secret identity to keep their loved ones safe. I thought that was a pretty cool little thing little twist that they did uh and you know they don't really do things like that in the mcu much with the human characters but here we are and they're doing it with nick fury um later on in the in the episode we uh talos mentions an imp emperor drogi now in the comics there is a drogi the name is spelled a little differently than the way they used it in the show but is i want to say it's probably the same guy well uh drogi in the comics is actually named drogi feet Finu Edu, and he's a scroll scientist, and he is the one that helps develop the super scrolls. Now, what is a super scroll? I told you, I'll tell you what that is. Now, scrolls can transform, right? So they can transform and they can mimic the voices and the body and the mannerisms of anybody they transform into. So what happens if they transform into somebody like the Fantastic Four, which we'll get into in a minute as well, uh, or say like Thor or Captain America, maybe Captain America, because his biggest power is the fact that he has super strength and the squirrels are very strong. But anybody with something like Fantastic Four, where uh, Reed Richards can stretch or the Human Torch can catch fire and that fire can be used for something, um, they can't mimic those powers. They can't mimic the powers of any of the Avengers, yet the super squirrels were developed by drogi uh by 
uh, by Drogi by capturing the Fantastic Four and other members of the Illuminati first from the comics. And then the Super Scroll, the, the first one, he was giving all the powers of the uh, of the Fantastic Four in order to come to Earth because they had lost the first fight, the first go round at the end of that and at the end of that comic run. That's what the Super Scrolls were for. Now the Super Scrolls are actually being made in this series. We see that later on when um, uh, when Gaia is looking at the computer after she uh, is in that lab and she's eavesdropping where she goes back to the computer where she sees that all of these uh, people and all of these uh, entities, these creatures from that have been on Earth at one point or another, their, their essences or pieces of them have been found on Earth by the scrolls. And now they're experimenting with those pieces, though the DNA that they've gotten from them in order to make scrolls stronger. These are super scrolls that they're trying, that they're trying their best to create. That is what Gravik was talking about earlier in the series, earlier in the episode when he said, hey, I already know about the, that the Avengers could come back and I'm already working on a plan for that. This is what he was talking about. Now, here's the thing about the uh, about all of these creatures. Now, the creatures on the computer that we see that they that they found pieces of and that they're using their DNA for are Groot, a frost beast, Cull Obsidian and Extremis. They've got the DNA from all of these four uh, these four entities. Now, here's the thing, and this this is something that I thought when I heard it, and I've heard other people talk about this as well. All four of these entities, instead of using the Fantastic Four like the comic, all four of these entities replace one member each of the Fantastic Four. Think about it. Uh, Fantastic Four in the in the in the comics in the original story, they are the first four that that uh, that the powers are given to the Super Scrolls. Well, what does Reed Richards do? He stretches. Who does that also? Groot. So you have the Frost Beast, which can go invisible. That's the power like Sue Storm. You have Cole Obsidian, who is just extremely strong, extremely beefy, can hit things, and is just super strength. Well, who is that? That's the thing. Right. And then you have extremists who have fire powers. They they catch on fire and they can detonate things and make other things catch fire. Well, that's Johnny Storm, right? The human torch. So so here you are with these specific four entities where their their powers, their DNA is being used to uh, build up other scrolls. This is basically replacing the Fantastic Four until you get the actual Fantastic Four because they couldn't use them up until now. So I, I, this is actually a pretty neat, neat way of saying like, hey, we got the Fantastic Four, but we don't have the Fantastic Four. And this is a good like homage to those particular characters and still kind of sticking as close as they can to the comic book story. I know a lot of people aren't going to like that, but I actually applaud the effort of them actually trying to do it. Um, another Easter egg is uh, when uh, Fury uh, accompanies um, Maria Hill's body back home uh, so that they can have her uh, buried as an American soldier because she is an American soldier. Um, he has to face down her mother, Elizabeth Hill. Uh, and that one scene where he's talking to her and he's getting a tongue lashing and it sobers, sobers him up to uh, that his actions have dire consequences. Well, that's the same way that Tony Stark had to face down uh, Miriam Sharp in Captain America Civil War. Uh, like I said, both times, both of these men had to talk to the mothers of somebody that was working under them and died because of their actions. And it sobers them up. It lets them know, like, hey, what you do has real world consequences, not just for you and your super powered um, 
your super powered friends. It's regular people being hurt and they follow you and you have to look out for them just like you look out for the other ones. And I thought that was a really, really good scene as well. Uh, it, it does kind of tug at you to hear, uh, the woman who's, who's, who plays uh, Elizabeth Hill to hear her talk about, uh, her, her daughter, um, uh, Maria Hill. I, 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 I still, it still bothers me. It still bothers me that, that she's dead now and she's actually dead <laughs> she's gone. They're not going to go through this entire, uh, thing with the, uh, with the uh, military funeral, with the flag draped over the casket just to bring her back later on. Um, our last little, uh, Easter egg, uh, Charlene Woodard is, uh, who plays Nick Fury's, uh, wife, the scroll in the human form is Charlene Woodard. Um, <clears throat> first of all, number one, if you were wondering, she's not actually related to Alfre Woodard. I thought that'd have been kind of cool because Alfre Woodard is, the, is Miriam Sharp from earlier on in the series. Like I was talking about before, uh, if they were sisters, but she's not, but she does have a, um, a connection to, um, Samuel L. Jackson outside of the MCU. So cast your mind back to the movie unbreakable. Remember the woman that has her son and his bones are constantly breaking. That little boy's name is Elijah. His mother is played by Charlene Woodard. Now remember Elijah grows up to be Mr. Glass, the villain in that movie, right? Who plays the adult villain? Samuel L. Jackson. Now I thought that was fantastic. The fact that they went all the way back, got somebody who's been in the movie with Samuel L. Jackson, the, that the, the woman that played his mother of all things is now the woman playing his wife inside of the MCU. So there's the MCU for you. They are consistently, I mean, consistently pulling out the stops of, to find people, good people to play all of these parts, whether large or small in, inside of these TV shows and inside of the movies. Um, this entire episode to me underscores the separation of people along racial lines. You have Fury talking about how he grew up in the uh, segregated South. You have the fact that Fury knows that there's no tolerance or very little tolerance among humans for other humans, let alone another species on our planet. Uh, that speech by Gravik about how humans are cruel and hateful to each other, uh, about how we uh, throw each other in cages and poison our air and kill each other for, you know, monetary gain. Oh, uh, you have that uh, that conversation between Rhodey and Fury in the tavern where they talk about like guys who look like us, you know, having to hold on to power after we snatch it from mediocre men like Alexander Pierce. Go back to the other go back to other MCU films. Alexander Pierce was completely mediocre in his job. Um, they did a fantastic uh, job of telling this story about how everything is now being separated along these racial lines or along these lines of species, along these lines of people with power and without power and how power can be wielded and how it can be taken away and wielded right back against you uh, by means that you can't that you can't fight. It is so, so good. This episode and this show is so good. Um, the only theory I have thus far, Rhodey is a scroll. He has to be. When we meet Rhodey and all the way up until this show, Rhodey is very, he's usually affable. He's a good guy. He's a nice guy. He isn't very stern. He has his tense moments with Tony and a couple of other people, but he's not really the guy that would talk about carpet bombing a place because somebody insulted him or, or just scoffed at something he said. This is not the roadie that we've known. This roadie is, is a lot more confrontational. He's a lot angrier. Now, yeah, maybe he's mad about what's going on, but I mean, Rody still would not be talking about carpet bombing a place. And he definitely would not be going at, um, at uh, Fury the way he did to in the tavern. So if it turns out that Rhodey is not a scroll, I won't be angry, but I think he should be a scroll. 
Honestly, I think that they should have Rhodey become a scroll and that he had gotten his body taken over. Uh, maybe not, like I said, maybe not in some people's theories as far back as when he took over for uh, uh, when Don Tito took over for Terrence Howard. Uh, but maybe sometime after Tony Stark got killed. Right. Let that up until that moment where uh, Rhodey is kneeling beside his friend and he's completely broken that Tony is 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 dead or dying in front of him and you know let it be up until that moment that that's roadie and then sometime after that they wind up taking over uh, uh james Rhodes' body i mean it, it it should coincide honestly with whenever they got to ross and took over his body that needs to be a thing uh but besides that this is a great episode if you not have not watched it please go and watch it this is such a good series and I, uh it's not a lot of episodes it's only going to be six episodes total and we're already two in so this show is going to pick up and as much and as action-packed and as much great uh what's the word great directing that we've had so far in in just two episodes it the next four is going to pick up fast and it's going to be a lot. And every time there's an episode, I am going to come back and we're going to talk about it. And I got a feeling it. this is, I got a feeling by the time this is over, this is going to be my favorite series. I said that in the last episode, uh, talking about episode one. And I, I believe that also, I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get out of here with the last call. So that's it, and that's all. It's time for the last call. I want to thank each and every last one of you for tuning in to another episode. Uh, I say it all the time. I don't care if it's one, five, ten, hundred, or a thousand of you. I am truly grateful for everybody that tunes in and listens to me every Friday. I do this because I love it, and I am so very glad that you enjoy it also. Hey, look, we have not had a last call drink in quite a while. So because we're doing Indiana Jones this week, and we're talking about Secret Invasion, uh, I decided I wanted to try to get something, you know, some drink for summertime, but something also to fit in with what we were talking about today, especially with the Indiana Jones thing. Uh, so I found a drink called the Hoosier Heritage. I've never actually tried this, so I'm going to try it this weekend, and I think you ought to try it too. Uh, it's, it's real simple. You get a half ounce of lemon juice, a half ounce of all things maple syrup, one ounce of apple cider, and one and a half ounces of rye whiskey. Now it doesn't. The recipe that I found it doesn't say whether to shake it or to stir it, so I'm going to try it both ways. See what see if I like either one. Uh, it also says that you need to have a, a sprig of rosemary to garnish it off at the end. It, that, Sounds really serious, uh, silly for a drink, but hey, I'm willing to try anything, almost almost anything, anyway, at least once. And uh, go ahead and try it, and uh, let, let me know what you think if you get a chance. Uh, but besides that, it's time to check out um, we no nothing for the uh, weekend watch list. We usually do a weekend watch list, uh, but we're not going to do one this weekend. Why? Because I'm going to watch Indiana Jones. That's why I'm probably going to go go back to the movies twice this entire weekend and watch it. So I won't be home. Uh, you probably catch me over on Twitch uh, catching up on some video gaming because I have not played in a few days because of the uh, because of the power being out and me having to take care of things here around the vault. So you'll probably catch me over there on Twitch uh, at some point over weekend but besides that i want you to take care of yourself take care of your friends uh your friends and families that are around you don't do nothing to hurt yourself don't drink and drive just mental health physical health take care of all those things first and everything shall follow i promise you with that uh so it's time for us to get out of here and we will end this episode the same way we always do so for my producer nikki rev i say the same thing we do every single friday god bless i love you and peace see you next time You're
listening to the Tweakwool Podcast.